Isn't it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only true Savior? And in a world full of spiritual options, how is it that Christians can claim that only Jesus is the way to salvation? Welcome to the conversation. You're listening to Filter. Hey guys, welcome to Filter, a podcast where we seek to equip you with biblical clarity to live in our chaotic world. My name is Aaron Champ, and I'm just so happy that you're joining us for today's episode. What we're looking at today is one of the problems of religion in our modern society and an objection to religion, but specifically the Christian religion, which is that how is it that Christians can claim that we have exclusive access to the truth, and how can we claim that we have exclusive access to the one true Savior, which we claim is Jesus Christ. The, uh, the background of this objection comes from just one of the problems that we see with religion, which is that religion is divisive. The people who, who object that Christianity is too exclusive and that it is offensive or intolerant to claim that Jesus is the only Savior or the only way to God do so based upon the assumption that religion is divisive and it leads to violence. Uh, moreover, what religion does is it tells one people that they have the only truth or, or the supreme truth, and then that makes them feel or believe that they are superior to others who do not have that truth. Now, initially, as uh, if you're a Christian listening to this wondering, uh, how do I respond to this objection? Maybe you've heard this objection before. One of the first things that we should think or, or one of the first ways that we should respond is in acknowledging the truth of that assumption. That whenever we look at the history of the world, or even recent history, whenever we look at the world today, religion is a divisive issue. And religion often has been used at, to perpetrate violence, to perpetrate oppression. It has been, uh, whether it's not used as the tool or the cover, it has often been um, a, a parallel or in, in company with uh, you know various different atrocities throughout history. And, and so there is uh, quite a bit of truth to the assumption behind this objection. And if you're a Christian, forced to acknowledge this is not us compromising any bit of our beliefs, because there, like I said, there is truth to that objection. But what we should point out that is that um, the divisiveness of religion or the assumption that one has objective truth is not something that is unique to Christianity because anytime someone believes that they hold objective truth or um, or the only way to salvation, which is true of every religion, then that is going to naturally lead to some division and so on. And so the question is what we need to, that we need to ask is, is since uh, religion is a divisive issue and since all truth claims are exclusive, we need to figure out what belief or what truth claim will bring about the most peace and civility, since to one extent or another, they are all divisive. Now, here is the main option provided to us by, uh, by our broader postmodern culture today, and that is the option of religious pluralism. Religious plural pluralism is this idea or assumption that all religions are basically equal in their truth value, that they are all fundamentally the same and that they are just all expressing different experiences of God or ultimate reality reality or spirituality, however you would like to put it. One of the ways that religious pluralism is often illustrated for us is with the anecdote of the, uh, of the blind men and the elephant. 
So they say that the world's religions are like a group of blind men who are all feeling an elephant. And so one of the men is feeling the trunk of the elephant and he's describing, he's saying, this is a creature that is long and slender, but then there's another man feeling the belly of the elephant. And he's saying, no, this creature is, is large and, and round and, and, uh, and it has skin. But then there's another, uh, blind man who's feeling the tail and he's saying, no, it's, you know, skinny and lean and hairy. And so they're all feeling an elephant, but because they're feeling different parts of it, they're making contradictory claims. People who espouse religious pluralism say that this is what the world's religions are like, all feeling the same reality, but just giving different experiences. So let me go through a couple of the various claims of religious pluralism or some of the various uh, mottos or statements you might hear and just talk about what is the uh, or give a criticism to each one. And so one of the first things that you'll hear in religious pluralism is that all religions are basically the same with different tools. Once again, think of the blind man and the elephant. All religions are basically the same, with, but they just have different tools. So in other words, in their essence, they're all the same, but in superficial uh, things and uh, appearances, that's where they're different. Now, here is the primary criticism and objective uh, objection to that claim. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> it's actually the opposite that is true. Whenever we look at superficial things, all the world's religions actually look a lot alike. All the world's religions, whenever it comes to the tools that they use, are, are very similar. They all have um, uh, a building of some kind which becomes the center of community, whether that's a church building, a, a temple, a mosque, a... Um, a synagogue or or whatever else is being used, they all have some system of of priests or of teachers or of men who become uh, mediators between the religious community and the God that they worship. Uh, very often there is a core authoritative religious text. And so when we look at the superficial things, that's actually where they all look similar. But is once we get deeper down into the claims and into the various worldviews behind the different religions, and that is where we find the conflict. That is where we find the differences. The, uh, the early 20th century author G.K. Chesterton uh, in his book, Orthodoxy, talked about this. He said, they agree in machinery. Almost every great religion on earth works with the same external methods, with priests, scriptures, altars, sworn brotherhoods, special feasts. They agree in the mode of teaching. What they differ about is the thing to be taught. Creeds that exist to destroy each other both have scriptures, just as armies that exist to destroy each other both have guns. And so ironically, while trying to create uh, like peace and harmony between these various different religions, what pluralism does is it, it uh, really dishonors the diversity and the reality of religions, whenever it says that they're all fundamentally the same. Here's another claim of religious pluralism. They say that all religions are equally valid, valid and have the same truth value. So in other words, whether no matter what Christianity says about God or what Islam says about God or what uh, one of the Eastern religions such as Hinduism or Buddhism says about God, each in their own sense, they are right. They're all equally true. Now, let me give you a couple of reasons why this doesn't work. First, this doesn't work because it is logically invalid. They cannot all be true. They cannot all be true. Just to give you an example of the world's three great monotheistic religions, so Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, 
each one of these religions makes a fundamentally contradictory claim about the nature of God. In Christianity, we claim that there is one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we call the Trinity. So one God and three persons, the Trinity. While uh, Judaism and Islam, on the other hand, claim that there is one God in one person. And then once you get into the details of exactly who that person is within Judaism and Islam, we once again are being presented a portrait of a God which is fundamentally different and cannot be the same one. And so it cannot be true that God is both one person and three persons all at the same time. Or let us just consider the Eastern religions, which say that there is no personable God, that there is no God of personality, um, that we cannot even speak of, uh, of God as, a, uh, as an entity, really, as much as a force. Because they believe that ultimate reality or the supernatural is just a, an impersonal force which exists um, in, in whatever different way they claim throughout the world, whether it's in people or in all things or whatever else. Now, ultimate reality or God cannot both be a person and a non-person at the same time. That's logically invalid. A second reason why this assumption just doesn't work is because it's morally unacceptable. There are uh, many examples of religions which claim beliefs or, uh, or do things as a part of their religion which are absolutely morally unacceptable. To use just the most extreme example. If we came across a cannibalistic religion in some remote island in the middle of the ocean, would we approach this cannibalistic religion, which you know uh, is committing vulgar atrocities, would we say that they, their beliefs and their practices are equally good and true and valid as much as any of the other world's religions? So the claim that all religions are basically the same, valid, and have the tr- same truth value uh, doesn't work for logical reasons, but also because it cannot work uh, morally. The last thing um, is that this assumption is really self-defeating. This assumption is saying that they all have the same truth and value, but just religious pluralism in general is an idea or proposition which is essentially self-defeating in this. Go back to the story of the blind men and the elephant. So the idea is that all the world's religions, you know, you have Christianity over here feeling the trunk and you have Hinduism over here feeling the belly of the elephant and so on and so forth. They're all feeling different parts of the elephant. None of them can see the whole elephant. They're just describing different parts or different experiences of the elephant. But the religious pluralist is standing above the story. They're standing um, in, in, the, in, the fore, in the background of the story and the religious pluralist is able to see the whole elephant, and the religious pluralist is able to know that all these different religions with their various truth claims are actually describing the same thing. And so what religious pluralism is claiming is that all the world's religions are blind, but we can see. They all think they have the truth, but we actually have the truth. So at the end of the day, it is fundamentally self-defeating because what it uh, criticizes in the objective or exclusive truth claims of other religions, religious pluralism is guilty of itself. Though it appears to be a humble and tolerant worldview, it requires as just as much assent to its beliefs as any other religion. And so when it comes to the issue of discovering what religious option is it that will bring about 
the most peace and civilians in society. Uh, it cannot be religious pluralism because religious pluralism on several grounds that I just talked about doesn't work. Let me show you why Christianity is the only valid option that we have for this problem. First of all, because Christianity, well, the first thing about the Christian response is that Christianity is exclusive in its claim to salvation only through the name of Jesus. And so I do not want to make any impression that Christianity is a solution to the problem of religious divisions because it um, because it, it does not claim that Jesus is the only Savior or that we should make a compromise in that claim. Because Scripture and the New Testament is clear about that. Um, for one example, in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, Peter is preaching and he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, uh, this man who had just been healed, is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people for which, by which we must be saved. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 said, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, read Savior, between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And so Christianity is, is exclusive in its claim to Jesus being the only Savior. But let me say this. The second point is that this exclusive claim of Christianity that we see in the gospel is actually more inclusive than any other option that we see among uh, world religions. Because of this, let me read you something else that Paul wrote. And he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, right before that other passage that I just read you about how there is one God and one mediator, how Jesus is the only Savior. Right before Paul said that, he said this. He told them that he wants, uh, he wants Timothy to lead his people to be praying uh, for everyone. Not just to be praying for the well-being of themselves, but to be praying for their neighbors, to be praying for kings and all those who are in authority. He says, pray for all of them so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He said in verse 3, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what we find in Christianity is, on the one hand, yes, it is exclusive in there being one Savior. But on the other hand, it tells us this, that those who follow that Savior are to be the kind of people who are praying and seeking the well-being of all those who are in authority in their society and of all those who are their neighbors, their business associates, their classmates, or whatever else, to be praying for them so that they can lead a life of peace and tranquility with them. And then he says that this God, who is the only God and who sent the only Savior, desires that all people might come to know salvation in him. You see, that is an exclusive claim, which is far more inclusive than any of the options that we have in any other world religion. Because what any other world religion tells you tells us is that if you want to be saved and if you want to have a relationship with God, what you need to do is clean yourself up, make yourself better. And so you do that either through just basic moral improvement or you do that through the pathway that they offer you. 
whether it is a list of rituals, of sacraments, of pillars of wisdom, of whatever else it might be. They say if you take this path of self-improvement or if you can live out these steps to, uh, to gaining the favor of God, then you can be saved. And so you see what all the other religions of the world tell us is that salvation or a relationship with God is only for good people. And it's only for those who are wise enough or strong enough or good enough to morally improve themselves and make themselves acceptable before God. But what Christianity says instead is that there's only one way to salvation, and that is through the Savior who did the work of salvation, who did the work of redemption on our behalf. Because what Christianity says is that salvation and forgiveness of sins is not just for the strong, the good, and you know the beautiful, but it's for the ugly, the weak, and the bad. Because salvation is offered to us by grace through the work of Jesus Christ and not on our own works and merits. And so, once again, this exclusive claim is far more inclusive and opening the door, not just for the good people, but for all of us to be saved. And lastly, there's this. The contours or the story of the gospel forms of people to be respectful, civil, and loving towards their neighbors who disagree with them. I already pointed out to you before how in 1 Timothy 2, Paul was telling Timothy to lead the people in prayers for the well-being of all those who are around them so they might live a life of peace and tranquility with them. But on top of that, what we learn whenever we um, are acquainted with the gospel and as we grow deeper in the gospel is that if we're going to be the kind of people who follow after uh, the kind of Savior that Jesus is, then our life should start to look more and more like the kind of life that he lived and that we uh, and our character should be marked more by a character that looks like his. And whenever we look at the character of Jesus, what do we find? We see someone who was loving the poor, who was attracted and, and serving and helping those who were outcast in their society, living on the margins of society, who were the oppressed, who were looked down upon, who were mocked and scorned. It is those kind of people that Jesus was attracted to and helping. More than this, what Jesus told his followers is that if they would be his people, they would be the kind of people who love their enemies. And he himself displayed this whenever he was on the cross paying for our sin. And, he, and as he was suffering, he cried out, my God, my God, forgive them. And so if we ever find somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they're living a life which is bitter, which is unloving, which is unforgiving, uh, which is not seeking the good of their neighbor or is not marked by uh, uh, sacrificial service for others, what we find is somebody who doesn't believe in the gospel enough and has not allowed the gospel to be conformed to their life enough because if it has, then they would look more like Jesus. So Christianity is not only our best option for the most uh, inclusive of the exclusive religious claims, but it also offers us a salvation that's available to everyone. And so I want to thank you for joining us today for this episode of Filter. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out our uh, show notes for highlights and further resources related to this episode. If you enjoyed it, would you also be sure to give us a rating if you're watching this video on YouTube or if you're listening to this on a podcast, would you rate our show Would you subscribe, give us a follow, and then also share the show with your friends so they can learn about it as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, my name is Aaron Champ, and you've been listening to Filter.